week and pray this again. Mike, you're here, but you're hurting. You need our prayer. Uh, I can't believe you're actually here. Uh, Mike woke up this morning and hurt his back pretty significantly. So we can pray for you. Lord, I pray for Pastor Mike. He is here, he is participating in worship with us, but he is in a lot of pain. You can see it on his face. Lord, I would ask that you would heal Mike right now. That you would take away this pain in his back, and that we could just give all the glory to you. Lord, we look at this prayer list, and we know that there are many who need your touch. You think about Tom and Joey London. You think about the people on this list. We pray for healing God. We love it. Based upon all we just talked about and prayed about, is it really surprising that joy, true joy, seems a little hard to find right now? And in all of that, <laughs> you know, I didn't even mention COVID, which is still lingering around. Well, I've mentioned to you as we've started this sermon series in Philippians that I am on a search for joy myself. And I've asked you to join with me in that search, that hunt for joy, that seems so elusive right now. And as I even reflected on these things that we've been praying for, is it surprising that joy is elusive? It is easy to get tangled up in this stuff, to all of the, the junk of the world. And I haven't even mentioned so many other things that are going on that cause us to feel like we're carrying a heavy load. That's why we're in Philippians. Philippians is a letter of joy, and I am searching for joy. If you haven't been able to be with us the past two Sundays, we've learned three things so far about joy. Joy begins with humility. The second thing, Christians partnering together bring joy. And third, the gospel advancing brings joy. Today we're going to learn a couple other things from Paul and Philippians about finding joy. And I would ask now, Lord, as we open up your word, that you would speak to us. Help us, God, as we are on this search for joy. We ask that you would help us to find contentment, joy, in you as we look to Philippians. Speak now, Holy Spirit. Last week we learned that Paul wrote this letter to his beloved church in the Roman city of Philippi. And he wrote it as a way of letting them know how he was doing in prison. He was encouraged that his imprisonment was actually furthering the gospel. And I want to remind you that the, the noun joy, the word joy is a noun. The word rejoice is the verb form of joy. So to rejoice means to well, it means joy in action. That's what rejoice means. Well, if you turn to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 27. We're only going to look at two short little passages in Philippians. We're going to learn about joy. 
So Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had. Now here, I still have. There's a lot in that few verses. Take a look at that first verse, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I wonder what would happen to the United States of America and to the entire world if just the Christians that are Christians right now just lived that verse. Just that. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What would that look like? Well, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Can I just, in order to understand this verse, we're going to have to understand the good news. Now, many of you have heard this before. I'm just going to go right through some verses that just explain the good news. Okay? But I want you to be thinking now, as most of you in here, maybe perhaps all of you in here, have accepted Christ as Savior, but maybe some of you haven't. If you haven't, I'm going to explain to you how to be saved. How to escape eternal damnation and gain eternal life. The verses I'm going to read next, this is how it works. This is the good news of Jesus. So first off, Romans 3.23 says... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First thing you need to know, everybody's a sinner. Everybody has sinned. And sin causes us to fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. I'm just going to stop right there, and then we'll read the second half. For the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that you earn. A wage is something that you earn. The wage of sin, now I just said everybody's a sinner. So everybody has sinned and fallen short. The wage of that sin, what you have earned from that sin, is death. And the death that is talked about here is eternal death. The kind of death where you are separated from God forever. That's the death. And it's not just like you're dead and then you cease to exist. This is like eternal damnation. That's what's on the line here. And by the way, when you are just like a human being, I already said this, you have sinned. Therefore, you have already earned death. But look at the next half of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You earn death through sin, but it's a gift to receive eternal life. Did you get that? I preach the same thing at every funeral I've ever done. This verse right here is at every funeral I've ever preached. It is, you earn death. It is a gift. Eternal life. That's 
That is good stuff. Now, Jesus died for us when we were still sinners. This is part of the gospel. Look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand that while you were in the position of having earned eternal death, while we were in that position, that's when God died for us. God didn't die for us after we had done something to earn him dying for us. God chose to sacrifice himself before we had done anything to earn anything. Because you can't earn this. A gift is by definition not a gift if you've earned it. Is it? It's a gift. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Grace means that God has sacrificed himself before you deserved it. You didn't deserve it. As a gift for you. And you can't earn it by doing good things. You'd have to just believe that God has sacrificed and given you the gift. That's, that's it. It seems too good to be true. That's why they call it good news. The word gospel means good news. It's good news. Well, how do you... What is this through faith? How does that work? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the first sermon that was ever preached at Pentecost, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent! The word repent. I've done this a hundred times, but if you've never seen it, this is the word repent. You're going this way. Repent! The word means to turn around 180 degrees and go the other way. You were going toward yourself. You were living your life for yourself. And you turned from that life, and now you turn and walk towards Jesus. You know, actually, I've always done that that way. I probably should do it this way, and then you turn toward the cross. That would make more sense. I'm adjusting my... On the fly, I've just adjusted my illustration. Okay? You turn toward the cross. You turn toward Jesus. That's what repent means. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This is good news. How do you do this? You repent and you confess that Jesus is Lord. To confess means you, you say, I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe it with all that I am. I have turned away from my life and I have turned toward God. I have turned away from my sin and I have turned toward God. Praise God. And then Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord, you've gone from death to life. From eternal death to eternal life. This is good news. I got one very small amen. You guys gotta get into this a little more. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the way we're supposed to conduct ourselves. To conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ means that you remember that you were a sinner saved by grace. Do you do you understand that the way we conduct ourselves in all facets of life is with the constant memory that I didn't earn 
this. I am a sinner saved by grace. Jesus is calling right now. And he is telling you, answer the phone. This is about grace. Amen. I got an amen because of the cool timing. Not because of anything else. Thank you, whomever that was. I'm not looking at anybody. Thank you, whomever that was. We had that pre-planned. Pre-planned. You, you guys, we're supposed to live our life with this constant reminder that we have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, and we are going to live eternally. All of that list of difficult things that we've been mired in, do you understand how that pales compared to what I just said? Do you understand how all of that stuff that I just said, you know, oh, we get a war in Ukraine, which is terrible. We've got the racial division. We've got COVID. We've got the Supreme Court and abortion, and there's protests, and oh my goodness, oh my goodness. We have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, and we will live eternally. Live like that. And I'm giving myself a mirror, right? Because I'm looking for joy. I'm, I'm looking at a mirror. Live like that, Jason. It is so easy to get bogged down because we forget that we are called to conduct ourselves by remembering the good news of Jesus every day of our life. That is worth celebrating. And by the way, when we do this, you can't help but change the way you interact with when you live with that in your mind. Now notice, I didn't say, just keep on sinning like everything's great. <laughs> we are a holiness church, right? We have victory over sin. That's part of all of this. But I still remember that I was not saved because I'm so good. I was saved by God's grace, and now he's empowered me to live for him. That would have been another good place for an amen. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. Again, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, did you get the then? See, if you, if you conduct yourself, if you live your life, if the everyday living of your life is with remembrance of the grace of Jesus Christ and your salvation, then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. Did you notice a theme in that? One spirit. You know, when Christians conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, unity is what happens. You know what the opposite of unity is? Division. Kim, I don't know if you read my notes before, but you couldn't have had a better lead-in to what we're doing here. When we live with this understanding of the gospel in our life, Christian unity just happens. It just happens. And contending as one man for the faith. And this is so amazing because remember, we just read earlier in Philippians that Paul was in jail and it was probably some fellow Christians that put him in jail. And then Paul says this. What is going on? Is Paul just, is he living in a fairy tale world and the rest of us just have to live in reality? 
If that's what you think this is, if that's what you think the gospel is, that well, this, these are all platitudes we can't possibly live. Like the Sermon on the Mount, no possibility. Why even try? Like what Paul is saying here is impossible. False. False. This is possible. When Christians conduct themselves, when they live their life with this remembrance of the grace of Jesus Christ, unity happens, not division. This is a sign you will be saved. Did you catch that part? Christian unity is a sign you will be saved. Christian unity is a sign that you will be saved. We've got something to notice here. Joy and unity go together. Did you get that? That might be worth writing down. Joy and unity go together. You know, if you've got this moment that when you're having like a possible argument with somebody, and you've got like you're getting all like set up to go, and you're like getting ready to roll, could I remind you? Joy and unity go together. So if you want to just dump joy, like if you are not on a treasure hunt for joy, like if you like, I don't like joy, I just want to be crabby, okay? Then just launch into that argument you're about to go into. Because you know what doesn't go together with joy? Division. You want joy? You really want it? You want to seek it? Okay? Then contend your life. Conduct your life as one who understands the gospel of Christ. And remember that joy and unity go together. Let's go to verses 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now that's a strange transition. As you read a letter, one of the, one of the key understandings of reading letters is you're supposed to think paragraphs. You know what's really tricky about this? It's that this is in the same paragraph of what I just read. He goes right from joy and unity go together, right? To suffering. This is like the same, it's the same thought, the same idea. It's all packaged together. How, what do we make of this? Well, I would suggest to you, Paul is not saying that suffering for suffering's sake is good. There have been Christians throughout the centuries that just thought that suffering was what they were shooting for, so they would suffer. You know? that, that's not what this is saying. But he is saying that suffering takes on a completely different understanding when we are saved by grace and when you suffer for Christ. When you suffer for Christ, something cool happens. You know, for Paul and the Philippians... The suffering that he's talking about here is the kind that I think we don't really understand in person. You see, I don't know if anybody in here has ever been in prison for Christ. Anybody been tortured for Jesus? Is anybody in here living under the threat of possible execution because of their faith in Christ? And then Paul says, that's a blessing. So just right away, I want to suggest to you that if you have not felt those things, it's going to be difficult to understand and connect with what Paul is saying. But I do still think that this speaks to us today. 
I don't think we necessarily understand this, but it does inform us. Sometimes I hear of how people in the church today, they kind of say, oh, we're being persecuted. Are we really, though? I mean, we're not being persecuted like Paul. Let's just be clear. But let's say that we are being persecuted. What does this passage tell us? It, it says that suffering for Christ is a blessing. And by the way, did you know that suffering is something we're supposed to expect? John 15, 20. Jesus, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours as well. Jesus was persecuted, expecting to persecute. Like somehow we've got this feeling like we're not supposed to be persecuted? I mean, what do you do with that then? I guess you just don't read that one. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And 2 Timothy 3.12 In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Do you want to live a godly life in Christ? Then expect it. We are not going to fit in with what the larger culture says is the right thing to do. And you will be persecuted for it. This whole idea of somehow we have to avoid persecution at every possible cost is not biblical. Do you want to know what is biblical? When you conduct your life in a manner consistent with the good news of Jesus, you will be persecuted. And it will be joyful. Now it's getting forced, so I get it's too much. We only get, oh, we got the amen. <laughs> Dave, did you do that? Jack helped me out. Wait a Jack help <laughs> That was fantastic. <laughs> Woo, unity in action, right back there. <laughs> Fellowship in, in the movement forward of the gospel. Happening in the sound. Suffering for Christ brings joy. This is not a super popular um, sermon message in the church today. But I, you want, I'm on a treasure hunt for joy. What the word is saying, I want to hear. You know what the word says to me from Philippians? Suffering for Christ brings joy. Brings joy. So if you are, if you are complaining about your suffering for Christ, and you're not getting joy from that suffering, you're probably not suffering for Christ. Did you hear that? Oh, we're being persecuted. Oh, the woke mob is after us. Ah, it's so terrible what's happening. Oh, woe is me. If you don't have joy from your suffering, you're probably not suffering for Christ. You're probably just suffering. For an ideology that doesn't match Jesus Christ. Did, that, did I need to say that again? I don't think so. I think you got it. Suffering for Christ brings joy. I'm on a search for joy. What are you on a search for? What's Paul going to say next? Chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, stop. Let me read that again. And I want you to think what the next thing Paul is going to say. Because the next word is, you got, I put it up there so you can see it. That's the same. Then, if you have any, go back, if you have any 
back and on. There you go. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, the next word is then. What do you think the, the then is going to be? Because, I mean, Paul's going to say something next. So, if you have all of those things, if you're united with Christ, if you understand the gospel, if you have fellowship with the Spirit, if you have tenderness and compassion, then get really angry at people who don't believe as you do. I'm sure that's the next thing Paul's going to say. Don't you think? I bet that's next. Because when you're united with Christ, and you have comfort from His love, and you have fellowship in the Spirit, and you have tenderness and compassion, then you will really get angry when somebody disagrees with you. Then you will tell everyone about how stupid they are because you don't believe the way you do. Then you will throw your hands up and say, there's nothing we can do that makes a difference anymore. The government's all corrupt. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. That's what that will cause me to do. Well, let's maybe see what Paul does say will be the effect of that. Then, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do you know what? Being encouraged from being united with Christ, being comforted in His love, do you know what having fellowship in the Spirit and tenderness and compassion, do you know what that causes? It causes joy, complete joy, that results in Christian unity. That's what it does. That's what it does. It doesn't cause you to get mad. It doesn't cause you to like get in the dumps because the government's failing us. Is, are you surprised the government's failing us? I mean, and I, this is not a Republican or a Democrat state. The government is failing us, but I would recommend and suggest that the church is also failing us. Because that's what we're supposed to be. When we're connected to Christ, our joy should be complete. And we should be united in one spirit. Make my joy complete. Being like-minded. Like-minded as who? As Jesus. Having the same love as who? As Jesus. And being one in spirit and purpose? With who? With Jesus and with each other. Do you remember Jesus' prayer in, in John chapter 17? Jesus prayed for us, for me and you. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. This is Jesus' prayer. Like the night before he's crucified, this is Jesus' prayer for us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Christian unity is the signpost, the flashing neon signpost that tells the world, we've got the good news. Christian unity is the thing that tells the world, we have the answer to this crazy that is around us. Our response and the way we conduct our lives in reflection of the gospel is the answer. And we have not been giving the answer. Unity. 
Did I mention that joy and unity go together? And just when you thought we had had enough, Paul puts two little verses at the end and then we're done. These two verses, see Bill now. Because these two verses, we haven't been doing well as a church. Here we go. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Did we just decide that those two verses are not in the Bible for the last three years? Did somebody just decide that we just could do without those? I'm just wondering. And now, are we going to make the same mistake with all of the division that's coming up about abortion right now? Are we going to make the same mistake? Because you know how easy it is for pro-life people to make women considering abortion to feel like garbage. Do you know how easy it is for that to happen? I love, if you caught the last video, there's one little section in there that we love the child and we love, and we love the mother no matter the decision they make. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Because you know what's going to be super easy? It's going to be super easy for us to get sarcastic. I've got a solution. You want to see the solution? Here it is. Ready? That's the solution. That's the solution. That, that's it. We've got to repent. We've got to repent. We've got to be... We have not been living Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. We have just not as a church. And if the church hasn't, I guarantee you, the United States of America has not. Did I need to do that illustration again? Does anybody need that illustration? Maybe you need to practice that illustration. Do you? You know, these altars don't get used very much. I'm kind of wondering why we've got them. I don't know um, if we, we should be dusting them. Probably should be dusting them. Andy and Amy, we're going to add that to your list of cleaning duties. We need to dust the altars. Because they're not getting used, so we probably better add that to our cleaning regimen. Don't you think? Because, you know, the last time I checked, altars were supposed to be places where you come and you lay down things that you need to lay down. You know, because the altar is a great place to repent, to turn from sin, and to turn towards God. I'm not quite sure. I don't know for sure, like I haven't done a study about why we're not using the 